Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Session 1 of the Book of Hebrews, a new weekly podcast series. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma for over 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. This first installment is entitled, Jesus is Better Than the Angels. But let's begin with an overview of the whole book of Hebrews. It was probably written around 67 or 68 AD. It was addressed to Jews who had accepted Christ as Savior, and its general theme is Jesus is greater. So the Jewish Messiah is being compared to angels and the Aaronic priesthood and various other wonderful things that the Jews held in esteem, and every time Jesus comes out as much greater than. The author is thought to have possibly been the Apostle Paul, but perhaps not, and another person who is often considered as the author is the eloquent Apollos. The first chapter is only 14 verses long, so let's begin by just reading that chapter. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, quote, you are my son, today I have become your father, end quote. And he's referring here to Psalms chapter 2, verse 7. Or again, quote, I will be his father and he will be my son, end quote. And there he's referring to 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 14. We go on, verse 6, and again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, quote, let all God's angels worship him, end quote. This was a reference to a translation of the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 43. In speaking of the angels, he says, quote, he makes his angels winds his servants, flames of fire, end quote. That was Psalm 104.4. But about the sun, he says, quote, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. This is a reference to Psalm 45, 6 and 7. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, therefore God Your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy, end quote. He also says, 
And now he's referring to Psalm 102, verses 25 through 7. Quote, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, quote, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That was a reference to Psalm 110, verse 1. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? That's all of Hebrews 1, 14 verses talking about Jesus and talking about angels. So let's look a little bit in closer detail at that comparison and begin with the four things that Hebrews 1 says that angels are. Two of those labels are in verse 7, and two are in verse 14. So we see that angels are winds or spirits, verse 7, flames of fire, verse 7, ministers, verse 14, and sent to serve, verse 14. So when we see that they are called winds or spirits, we see that they are created beings, and that already places them in a different category than Jesus, whom we will get to shortly. But it's interesting that they're also called flames of fire. Reminds me of a story in Judges chapter 13 about how the prophet Samson, who was a judge, came to be. You might remember in the book of Judges, there are a lot of accounts of Israel uh, backsliding and falling into sin, and then they would repent, and God would send a judge to deliver them from their enemies and get them back on track. And then when everything was good again, they would become complacent and fall back into sin. Well, during one of those cycles, they had fallen prey to the Philistines, and the Lord had decided to send a judge who would be the strong man, Samson, who had the long hair and took the Nazarite vow to their aid. But Judges 13 describes how Samson came to be born. Samson's parents were Manoah and Manoah's unnamed wife, and they had not been able to conceive a child. So one day, this man Manoah's wife has a visitation from an angel who tells her that she will bear a son who will begin to deliver Israel from the scourge of the Philistine rule. She tells her husband about it, and her husband asks the Lord to send the angel again. Sure enough, on another day, the angel appears to Manoah's wife alone. She goes and gets her husband, and together they ask questions about this promised child that they're going to have. At the end of that time, Manoah wants to offer a sacrifice, and the sacrifice will be a young goat that they will cook and serve to the angel because they don't actually understand that he is a celestial being and doesn't eat human food. And 
We see in Judges 13, 19, and 20, then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. Remember that we were talking about the fact that verse 7 of Hebrews 1 refers to angels as flames of fire. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? So can you imagine their fear and awe when what they thought was a man, maybe a prophet and extraordinary and giving them a message from God, but nevertheless a man, suddenly leaps up into this flame that's coming up off the altar and then sort of becomes one with it and disappears into the heavens. It's interesting when we think that flames of fire have no physical substance. They're mighty and visible and they can accomplish great things, but they don't take up space or have mass. Remarkable. And then... We think about how the scripture says in verse 14 that angels are ministers. Maybe you recall that when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness at the beginning of his earthly ministry, and that is accounted in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, that at the end of that 40 days of fasting and that temptation by the devil, he was extremely weakened. And we read in Matthew 4:11 that the devil left him and angels came and attended him. How did they help him in this weakened state where he must have been at the point of starvation? Did they feed him? Did they somehow impart to him the power of God the Father? They're also referred to as sent to serve in verse verse 14. I'm thinking about how Gabriel appeared to the Virgin Mary. She was extremely frightened and troubled, the scripture says. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. But that was Gabriel, the archangel that stands in the presence of God Almighty who came and talked to her about that. We also read in Matthew 1 that the husband of Mary, the husband-to-be of Mary, Joseph, received a message from an angel in a dream that he should not divorce his espoused wife now that he knows that she is with child and she is saying that it is from the Holy Spirit but that he should not be afraid to take her as his wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, it's one thing to dream about an angel, but it's another thing for an angel to actually have the power of God to meet with you in your altered state of consciousness that we call sleep and communicate to you an important message. Pretty impressive, yes. So four things that Hebrews 1 says that angels are, winds or spirits, which makes them created beings, flames of fire, 
ministers and sent to serve. But remember, the central theme of this chapter is that Jesus is better than angels. And so the chapter goes on to give us eight things that Jesus is. Those eight things include that he's heir of all things, maker of the universe, the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, the sustainer of all things by his powerful word, God's son, God himself, and Lord. So let's talk briefly about each of those. The first is heir of all things. Jesus said in John 3, 35, the father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. When that verse says everything, it's not just talking about everything on earth. It's everything in the whole universe. And that includes the hundreds of billions of galaxies that we don't even see and the hundreds of billions of stars that each of those galaxies contains and all of the dark matter that astronomers tell us make up, makes up more than 90% of the mass of the universe. It all has been placed in the hands of the Lord Jesus. Are you starting to see how much greater that is than those four descriptions of angels? So yes, he's the heir of all things, and second, he's the maker of the universe. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Colossians 1, 15 and 16 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. We think about him being called the Word of God and the account in Genesis 1 that God spoke the universe into creation. God said, let there be light and there was light. God said, are you tracking with me here? He's the Word of God. Somehow when God uttered that command, let there be light, it was through Christ that it was accomplished. So he's the heir of all things and the maker of the universe, which don't even compare to what we said about angels because they so far surpass what angels are. Third, he's the radiance of God's glory. That was listed in verse 3. Matthew 17, 2 says, There he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Do you remember that story when Jesus took Peter and James and John up into a mountain, and there he was transfigured and began to shine, and they could see that he didn't just have light shining on him. He was actually emanating light because he actually was deity. In Revelation 1.16, there is a description of Christ that says his face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. So he's the heir of all things, the maker of the universe, 
the radiance of God's glory. And fourth, he's the exact representation of God's being. Verse 3 again. In John 14, 8 and 9, the disciple Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. But Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? What a statement. It's either the height of arrogance or it's really true that Jesus is God. The exact representation? That's like the image in a mirror or the image of Christ's face in water as he's looking down at the water in the Morgan Weistling painting where he's just been baptized by John the Baptist. The exact reflection or representation of his being. Number five, he is the sustainer of all things by his powerful word. That's also found in verse three. Reminds me of what it says in Colossians 1.17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In the King James Version, it says all things consist. Can you imagine that everything holds together by the power of Jesus Christ? Number six, he is God's son. Verse five, we might say that all people who have come to the Lord and call themselves by his name and have been saved by the blood of Jesus are the sons and daughters of God. But we are made and he is begotten. Do you remember what happened when John the Baptist baptized Jesus? It says in Matthew 3, 17, that after he came up out of the water, a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus is in a different category as a son of God than us. We are sons and daughters of God. He is the only begotten Son of God. Number seven, he is God himself. There was a most amazing incident in John chapter 8, verses 53 through 58, in which Jesus has a discussion with some of the elders. They were getting irritated with him. And they said to him, Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you don't know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you've seen Abraham. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. 
before Abraham was born, I am. Wow. Hearkening back to the name that God used to identify himself when he spoke to Moses from the burning bush back in the book of Exodus, Jesus called himself that name for God, I am, the eternally existent one, the one who was and is and will be. Are you seeing how that doesn't even compare to what we were reading about the angels? Yes, Jesus is better than the angels. So again, he's the heir of all things. That was the first He's the maker of the universe, too. Third, he's the radiance of God's glory. Four, he's the exact representation of his being. Five, he's the sustainer of all things by his powerful word. Six, he's God's son. Seven, he is God himself. And eight, he is Lord, which we, we read in verse 10. Reminds me of the verse in Philippians 2, 9 and 10. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Did you catch that? In heaven, angels are in heaven. Do you see in your mind's eyes all of those legions of angels in heaven who hear the name of Jesus and fall to their knees in worship because Jesus is better than angels? What a beautiful, beautiful message to start out this book of Hebrews. So he's not just a good man. He's not a divine being only. He's not an angel. He's not a man whose good works changed him into a god. He's not a myth or a fraud or a fake or an apparition. He is God Almighty himself come in the flesh. Maybe you remember what the Nicene Creed, the litmus test for Orthodox Christianity, has to say about Jesus Christ. This is our profession about him from the Nicene Creed. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. Oh yes, Hebrews 1 affirms, Jesus is better than the angels. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, pass it along. 